Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we are in part three of our series, Identity. And one of the main reasons that we are trying to address this is because when it comes to challenges in our lives and clarity, direction, etc., I think that we have less of an issues problem and more of an identity problem. So that might manifest in terms of different issues, if you wanna call it that, but very often the issue beneath the issue is our identity. So, so who we see ourselves as, whose we see ourselves as, and what the best version of that looks like. And so we are very, very much trying where possible to, to bring some direction and some perspective in terms of who God says you are, both on a broad level, but also today we're gonna look a little bit more on a personal, unique level to who he's made you to be. And so the idea is that we wanna be the best versions of who God's made us to be, not the best version of who God's made someone else to be. When you get to eternity one day, he's not gonna say, why weren't you more like Moses or Abraham or Joseph or whatever, or the person sitting next to you. He's gonna, if he asked the question, I doubt he will, but if God asked the question, it'd be more, why, why weren't you more like you? Why, why weren't you the best version of who I made you to be? In other words, God isn't comparing you to anybody else. God actually has a, an intention, a plan, and a vision for who he's made you to be. I love the way that author Max Lucado puts it. He says, you cannot be anything you want to be, but you can be everything God wants you to be. You cannot actually be. I know that the world says just you can be whoever you wanna be if you just try hard enough, and there's an element of truth in that because we can obviously develop and grow uh, along the lines we put effort and attention to, but you can't actually fully be whoever it is that you wanna be, but you can be everything that God wants you to be. God actually has a plan and an intention. One of my favorite verses is found in Ephesians 2 verse 10, where it says we are God's masterpiece. We are His masterpiece. Not, you're not my masterpiece, I'm not my masterpiece, you're not just on a personal project, actually, you are God's masterpiece. He actually has a plan. He's, he's created what, what another English translation calls a work of art. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There's so much just in that one verse. We are his masterpiece, his work of art. Comes from the original Greek word poema where we get the word poem or love song from. Or, or again, some translations are that it's actually a work of art. What happens, however, in our lives is that very often there are all kinds of graffiti and extra coats of paint that are put over that original masterpiece. Sometimes it's left in a corner somewhere where it's a little bit damp and dark and so mold grows. And so, and so a lot of the time we look at the, the masterpiece and it doesn't look like that much of a masterpiece. However, I believe that part of the invitation from Jesus is to actually allow him to slowly, patiently, gently do a work of restoration where, where you actually allow the master restorer to, to slowly but surely, under the right conditions, gently remove some of the extra stuff that has been placed over the original masterpiece. And I wanna encourage you that God is patient, way more patient than what you and I are. He is so patient, so committed to, to trying to help us flourish, because that's what it is, we'll flourish. The more we are who He's created us to be, the more we will actually flourish and be a blessing to others and contribute 
and make a difference. But here's also something else I want you to understand. If God is going to restore us to His original plan, to His original masterpiece, you're not going to look like someone else. Sometimes people think, okay, if I, if I grow in my relationship with God, which is normally what people are referring to if they think of being more spiritual, I don't know if they think of spiritual dancing or way flagging or, or, or just being quiet a lot longer, I don't know, but, but, but in the Hebrew language, there was no word for spiritual because everything's spiritual. Okay, so, so if we actually walk with Him and respond to Him, we surrender every part of our lives to Him. So our, our entire lives are surrendered to Him and we become more and more like Him. In fact, John Ortberg puts it this way, he says that you don't just become holier, you become more you-ier. You don't become like somebody else. You don't become, so if you're a charismatic, extroverted uh, person who loves adventure and, and there's always an energy and a buzz about you, the more you grow in God, you're not going to become this super quiet, melancholic, reflective, deep thinking, don't, like leave me alone, I just need to be in a quiet corner somewhere kind of person. Unless you were faking it to begin with. But he's not wanting us to become a fake version of ourselves. He's wanting us to increasingly become the real us, the real version of who he's created us to be, and the healthiest version, the strongest version, the version that is flourishing the most that actually brings relief and blessing to other people. Again, John Ortberg says, only God knows your full potential, and he is guiding you toward that best version of yourself. Now, the challenge for us is that sometimes we, we feel like we have to fit into a particular mold as opposed to looking at how God has wired us, the raw material that he's put into us, and what maturity in that looks like. So an example of this is, is a story that John Ortberg shares in his book, The Me I Want to Be, when he refers to some friends of his who's ha who had a daughter. At the time that she was three, she showed a great deal of strong-willedness. So she had a little tricycle, and she wanted to like bolt all over the place. So they kind of put a rule into place where they said, so, okay, there's a sidewalk in front of the house. The boundaries are the driveway and that tree. You can only go on the, the pathway between the driveway and the tree. If you don't, you're going to get a spanking. Now, I'm not going to be out here the whole time, but I'm going to be inside. I'm going to be watching you. And so their little three-year-old turned the spanking zone towards the mom and said, well, you might as well get it out the way because I've got places to be. Like she wanted to get out and explore. Would it surprise you to find out that that three-year-old little strong-willed girl grew up to show enormous strength and leadership as an adult? Because that's part of what God put into her. Now, as parents, we want to channel and you want to direct that, and obviously there are appropriate boundaries that you want to bring in place. But the last thing you want to do is break a strong-willed child spirit. There's a, there's a strength, a tenacity, a, a determination in there. And I'm saying that, yes, there is always the less mature version of a personality trait, of a gift. Every gift requires development. Every personality requires maturity. Okay? We need to grow in wisdom. We, we need to grow in our experiences. But, but God's not looking to remake us from the very beginning. He's looking at the original purpose, the raw material that he's put into you. There are parts of your personality that God designed from before you were born. 
And he's, he's wanting to push back against the world's narrative that's trying to form you into its image. And he's saying, no, 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 I want to create you into the image that I have planned for you. And so I want to take a look at a few different categories that this covers looking with or looking at using the acrostic shaped, S-H-A-P-E-D. The first one, S, the letter S stands for spiritual gifts. Now this is referring specifically to Christians. It's a set of special abilities that God has given you to share His love and serve others. This is a little bit different to natural abilities, which I'll look at in a moment. But a spiritual gift is something that God has given, so it's not earned. You don't pray hard enough and you get the gift. Okay, God has actually chosen by design to actually give Christians certain gifts that they can use to bring and to add value to people, particularly to the body of Christ, but but to the world, to the community. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says that God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of gifts, which is why we don't want to compare and compete and, and project and try and force someone else to look like us or feel the pressure for us to look like someone else. No, no, he's given you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Then don't miss that last part. Use them well to serve one another. So I think an important question to reflect on is, do you have any idea what your spiritual gift is? Don't, don't be discouraged if you don't. And are you using it to serve other people? Are you using it well to serve other people? Some examples of spiritual gifts. Um, using sort of Christian language would be things like administration, apostleship, encouragement, evangelism, faith, giving, healing, etc. But to break down just a couple of examples, and this is something that we look at in a lot more detail on Tuesday night at our partner's dinner. So if you haven't ever been to Growth Track before or a partner's dinner, as Rayson mentioned earlier, grab the spiritual gifts assessment from the Connect area, put your name down, join us on Tuesday. Allow us to unpack this a little bit more. But you take a gift like the gift of administration, which I think is a terrible English word for what this is because people often think that admin is like pushing paper and filing stuff. But administration actually refers to the ability that God has given someone to bring order where there is chaos. So a lot of the time there is a vision, there's a dream, there's a goal, and, and often it's a visionary, it's a leader, it's, it's someone that might, might be a little bit more on the apostolic side where it's a little bit more entrepreneurial and innovative, but the administrator, the person that has the gift of administration is able to actually take us from where we are to where we wanna be, and there are steps involved. There's, there's the ability to put systems into play. Now, that can function on the highest level of an organization, of a church, etc., or it can be in a life group or on a serving team where you've noticed that we seem to celebrate every third person's birthday. Hey, we don't want to miss anyone. We don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. Let's actually create a system. Let's, let's put a list together. Let's, let's, let's have someone remind everyone. It can be that simple. Or it can be creating systems in a ministry that actually help fulfill the vision and the mission. You might be involved in serving at the TOTS area and you could care less about teaching a powerful story or greeting every parent, but, but you wanna make sure that the kids, that there's order, there's, there's control, it's a safe environment, there's someone that can keep an eye on the kids if they need to go to the toilet. This is referring to systems and structures. This is just one example. You might have someone else that has a gift of hospitality where they're not just compassionate, but they, but they actually notice, even this morning, 
as, as you were walking in. People with that gift probably would have noticed if you were sitting by yourself or standing by yourself. And if you've come a few weeks and they've come on the same weeks, they probably noticed if no one's greeted you, no one's connected with you, and they're like, and they're starting to freak out. And they want to get to you, but they're busy talking to someone else, and they don't want to like push them out of the way. But there's such a, there's, there's a, there's a frustration and a burden of, wait, we want people to feel welcome. And you can't understand why other people aren't noticing and why other people aren't doing something about it. People with the gift of mercy don't just feel sorry for people. They actually have the ability to go into a situation where someone is hurting or struggling or suffering and they're able to bring hope. There's a level of faith. So you might visit someone in a hospital, they die. Someone with a gift of mercy might go and visit them and they actually land up feeling better, like, like, there's, like they're ministered to. They are, there's an encouragement. Okay, just so you know, that's not the litmus test. What I mean is some people feel worse after you've been there, others you know, will feel better because you actually have a gift of mercy. You, you, you bring hope. You're like a breath of fresh air to someone that is struggling. All kinds of other gifts, leadership, teaching, Etc. Etc. But this is the challenge. It has to be motivated by love. It's not to be impressive. It's not to prove yourself. It's not because you're insecure and you need to, you know, look good enough. No, no. It's you're securing God, and it's it's just another way for you to pay it forward, to contribute, to love on others. I was reading a book recently where the lady said that without love, Christ didn't send you. Without love, Christ didn't send you. She's referring to Galatians 5 or 6 in the second half in the NIV where it says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Or if you read the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 13 where you can do good things, you can be generous, you can know all kinds of stuff, but if it's not motivated by love. Now again, that's why I'm saying that in all of these categories, we can grow and we can mature. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, just because God has given you a gift doesn't mean that it doesn't require development. I'm saying it absolutely requires development. If God's given you a gift of leadership, it's okay, has God given me the ability to be a leader of tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands? And a lot of the time, it's actually being a faithful leader of tens, where maybe God grows you to be a leader of hundreds or thousands. We, we, hone that gift, we mature it, we glean from others. You don't just have this fully developed gift. A couple of traps for us to avoid is one, comparison, where we place greater value on some gifts than on others, which results in pride or in us underappreciating the significance of the gifts that God has given us. Trap number two is projection, where I expect you to be like me. So that person that is super organized and administrative, they question your salvation if you are disorganized and you don't fit into the system very easily. Because like, if, you, if, you, if you're diligent, if you love God and love people, you're gonna be diligent and you're gonna work through all these things perfectly and there's, there's this frustration that can come across. A person with a gift of mercy can be really frustrated and wonder how you can even love God if you are not moved with compassion for people that are struggling or suffering. We wanna be careful not to project our gift onto someone else, our, our bend, our burden. That's why, again, throughout the New Testament, there are examples of us being a body where you have different parts of the body. In fact, Paul, when he writes in 1 Corinthians 12 and partially in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, in Romans 12, 
almost gets a bit cheeky saying like, can you imagine if every part of the body was an elbow? Like it'd be weird. Or if every part was a toe. We need the different parts of the body to actually make the difference. Trap number three is rejection. So that's where we undervalue what God has actually given us and we reject it, which can lead to trap number four, which is deception, where we try and take on a gift that God actually hasn't given us. But because we think it's more important, because we think it's valued more highly, we, we are tempted to want to take on that particular function or gifting. But if, for example, you think you're a leader and no one's following you, you're probably not a leader. And, and you're actually going to frustrate yourself and discourage yourself if you, if you keep trying to promote yourself and no one around you that you can trust are validating that. It's kind of like, you know, we're, I mean, I don't even know if we watch these shows anymore, but, but remember in the, in the early days when singing shows first came out and you'd be horrified that someone would think that they could sing on national or international TV and you're like, how has no one told you that you don't have a good voice? <laughs> hey? It's like, how, how, how are you that deceived? How are you that, so it shows you that we can deceive ourselves, but again, don't let that go to the other extreme where you're too insecure to even try stuff. I'm just saying, do it in a healthy environment. Have people around you that you can ask to give you honest feedback, which assumes that you're willing to receive honest feedback. So you're secure enough, to actually receive honest feedback. But what I do want to remind you of that is that the most visible gifts are not necessarily the most valuable gifts. The most prominent gifts are not always the most significant gifts. I do think that one day in eternity we are gonna be surprised at just how many people have made a significant difference that nobody ever knew about. In the world's eyes they would have had very humble positions, they would have been very noble individuals, and in many cases, they would have just sown seeds into, into a few lives on a personal, consistent, recurring basis, and they made a difference, but no one ever knew about it, they were never written up about it, they never appeared on social media, they were never celebrated on a stage, but, but they were significant. They made a valuable impact. Think about one or two people that has played any significant role in your life. Chances are, not very many people know who they are. Chances are, it's not very prominent, it's not very visible, but they've made a difference in your life. So why do we keep believing the lie that it has to be seen by everyone and celebrated by everyone to think that it is significant, as opposed to being secure in the love of God and able to walk and Make mistakes and experience His plan and purpose for our lives. I actually love the way that Helen Keller addresses this, where she says that I long to accomplish a great and noble task, but it is, but it is my chief duty to accomplish humble tasks as though they were great and noble. The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate so that's the average, of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. When everyone is doing the part that they need to do, man, it makes a difference. So, spiritual gifts. 
is the letter S. The rest all go a lot quicker. But I want to remind you, assessments are at the back. Join us on Tuesday night. The H is for heart. If we're looking at the word shaped, S is for, S is for spiritual gifts. H is for heart, which refers to our passions. There are special passions that God has given you so that you can glorify Him on earth. In other words, there are things that you care about. There are things that burden you. There are things that grieve you. There are things that you notice that you can't understand why other people can't notice it, and you want to make a difference because it's actually something that God has placed on your heart. The late Larry Crabb, in his book, Finding God, said that the core problem is not that we are too passionate about bad things, but that we're not passionate enough about good things. Passions from God. We just want to direct it to the right things. If your giftedness answers the what question, so what do you bring to a situation? The heart question, the passion question, over time will often answer the where question. Where do you want to do it? It could be with a certain age group. It could be with a certain demographic. It could be with a certain need. It could be for a certain area of justice, but it answers the where question. One way to help us reflect on this is to maybe take some time to consider if time and money was not an issue. I know, right? That'd be amazing. If time and money was not an issue, and if you were guaranteed to succeed, where would you want to make a difference? What cause makes your heart race? What problem would you like to solve or, or injustice or failure would you like to eradicate? And this could be everything from spiritual to emotional to physical, relational or educational needs. Where would you like to make a difference? And is it possible that God has actually placed that burden on your heart? Now, we don't always get to put all of our energy and attention into that perfect ideal area. The vast majority of people still have to put food on the table and need to be faithful and diligent in their education or their, or their work. But is there anything that you care about that you can direct your giftedness towards. S is for spiritual gifts, H is for heart, and A is for abilities. So these would be kind of our, our natural abilities. They're the set of talents that God gave you when you were born, which He also wants you to use to make an impact for Him. Now again, the question would be, well, what's the difference between a spiritual gift that God's given me and a natural ability? I think the difference, perhaps one of the best examples I can give, is where, is where let's say, if God has given you an ability to a spiritual gift of teaching is typically someone that's able to take biblical truths and make it really easy to understand and apply for people. Someone with the ability to teach is able to do the same, but it's basically in whatever subject, whatever. So whether you're a teacher at school, whether you're a professor, whether you are a coach, whether you are a tutor, you've got, like, you, you're able, to, like, you see fruit of being able to help someone learn and, and apply and grow. Right now, every one of us are enjoying the benefits of people's natural abilities. We are sitting in a building that has been built with abilities. You're busy listening to a, a production system or a media system that 
I mean, someone created this microphone. Like, there's a creativity. There's an ability to engineer. There's, there's an ability to see a need and a, and a way to solve it. People, people were able to create computers and projection systems and the chairs that you're sitting on, and then they're able to produce it en masse. Someone figured out how to create carpets and, and an air system, which some of you are hating right now and others are grateful for. Like, it's, these are all natural abilities. I'm grateful for the people that figured out how to make coffee. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be what, what, what in, in our mind is this like super spiritual. Really, when we're saying spiritual, we're thinking like, like a blatant ministry that's just directly taking people to the cross. No, no, there are, God, we live in a world where 99% of your energy goes towards where you are 99% of the time. And so God has given us ability. God has given some people the abilities to, 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 to do a great job at accounting, to do a great job at engineering, to do, I don't want this to sound in, in any way uh, patronizing, but there are people that, that have the ability to do a good job of cleaning or, or directing. Like, there are natural abilities where you might be creative, organized, reliable at bringing a task to completion. Or again, maybe you are a visionary where you have all the ideas, but you need people around you that can, that can actually see the steps and help bring it to completion. Some people are innovators. Some people are really good listeners. Not many, but some people. That's, is it possible that that's an ability that God's given you where, where he actually wants you to add value through being willing to patiently listen and not just rush to offer a solution? So S is for spiritual gifts, H is for heart, A for abilities, and P is for personality personality. Whether or not the people around you think you have a personality, you have a personality. God has actually created you in a very particular way. It's a special way that God created you to be moved, motivated, and loved, as well as how to engage and contribute. There are different things that move you. There are different things that motivate you. There are different things that excite you. Part of that has to do with your personality. There's a way that you express and receive love. There's a way that you, that you feel fulfilled when you are engaging in the world in a certain way. If gifts answers the what question and passion, the where question, then personality has a lot to do with the how. It's like how you turn up. So for example, some people are very task-oriented. They probably shouldn't be spending 90% of their time interacting with people. Some people are very people-oriented, and you probably don't want them spending 90% of their time trying to organize stuff. The personality will determine how you flourish and how you are fulfilled. We read the scripture last week, Psalm 139, verse 13, where speaking of God, David says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And nowadays, there are so many personality assessments, even free online that you can take, from the Enneagram to the Myers-Briggs to DISC to Strengths Finders and the Working Genius. You can go to psychologists and do psychometric testing. I think you do have to be very careful that you, that you see these as tools and maybe a piece of the puzzle and, and see where it, where it resonates and don't allow it to just def define you too rigidly and, and to restrict you too rigidly or to put you into a box too much, but it does help when you have a better understanding of why certain things mean so much to you 
why certain things seem to trigger you or move you so deeply. And it's often misunderstood. People that they just want to get the thing right can, can so often come across as being overly pedantic. Others that, that, that care about truth and justice get frustrated when people seem to be wishy-washy and not, and not just speaking the truth and making it clear. People that are, that are super creative and enjoy just, just being focused by themselves, creating something, uh, can often feel very misunderstood. It helps when, when you actually have some reference points to help you understand why you might be experiencing some of the things that you are experiencing. But we are meant to be different. Our personalities are meant to be different. And by the way, I seriously don't think that we are supposed to spend all of our time with people that are exactly the same as us. It can become an echo chamber. It can become very one-dimensional as opposed to actually leaning into some of the tensions, leaning into some of the discomfort of being around very different people, whether that's on a team, whether that's in a life group, and certainly when, when that's in a family, which is most of the time. Rick Warren puts it this way, like stained glass, our different personalities reflect God's light in many colors and patterns. Ever notice how different personalities bring out different parts of your personality? I can't remember who, who all the other characters were, but, but C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, along with, I think it was two other very famous authors at the time, were, were, were a very tight-knit group of friends together. They, they had a word a name for themselves, I can't remember what it was, but I think it's C.S. Lewis who commented when one of their friends passed away how, how that part of their personality that that friend used to bring out was now going to be missing because, because that friend uniquely would bring out a part of the three of them that no one else brought out because of the difference that that personality made. And that's why sometimes when someone moves away, like you actually feel that loss because, I mean, does this make sense? You, different people bring out different parts of you. Hopefully you're not schizophrenic and you seem you know, like a completely radically different person, with different, but, 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 but some, someone's gonna bring out the humor, someone's gonna bring out the adventure, someone's gonna bring out the, perhaps the more uh, thoughtful side. Others are gonna keep you from getting too serious. If you don't have any reference point like that, you might need to broaden the group a little bit. I can't state this authoritatively, but it's just a suspicion of mine, something that I, I would like to get some more peace about and some more uh, sense about. But even, even groups within churches, I wonder if to some extent there shouldn't be a little more diversity than it just being homogenous groups. Now, now, the reason I'm saying I don't know is because there are a lot of strengths and weaknesses. There are, I want to be realistic about people wanting to be in the same stage of life and that kind of thing, but, but I also think that there are advantages to people interacting with people from very different walks of life and maybe different stages of life and how, again, it's, it's like a mini family where you learn from one another. All right, S, spiritual gifts, H, heart, A, abilities, P, personality, E is for experiences. It's those parts of your past, both positive and painful, which God intends to use in great ways. There's a huge part of how God wants to shape us and use us that is not just 
the original plan. There are experience. We all have experiences, positive and negative, a lot of the time negative, where God doesn't want to waste the pain, where God doesn't want to waste someone having experienced addiction and recovery, or having gone through a divorce, or having grown up with an absent parent or absent parents, having gone through apartheid, or having gone through uh, great opportunities with education and work and mentors. God wants to use our experiences, both positive and negative. I think, I think that it is selfish for us to not be willing to share lessons learned, whether good or bad. And I think it is limiting, maybe even a little bit naive, for us not to see the good that has come out of seasons of pain or suffering or grief or loss. I think compared to 20 years ago, I have a much deeper, meaningful, not just sentimental, but like meaningful sense of empathy because of many things that we've gone through and where, and where I don't feel that the answers are as simple as I would have liked it to have been 20 years ago, where I don't feel that the formula is as neat and tidy as I would have liked it to have been 20 years ago. And it's not because my confidence in God is more shallow, it's actually because it's much deeper and where I think that the answers are a little bit more complex and sometimes there's a little bit of mystery and, and when you've suffered and endured grief and loss and, and disappointment, it can make us harder, or to use the cliche, it can make us bitter or it can make us better. It can, it's amazing how, how something, it's like, it's like uh, mud where, 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 where heat can actually make something harder or it can make it softer. And I'm saying that there are experiences in our lives, there are experiences in our relationship, there are experiences in terms of work, in terms of community, that I believe God wants to use for good. He wants to redeem both the pain and the many benefits. And lastly, D, because we're looking at the word shaped, 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 is that it is to actually do something. I think very often we would like to have the map worked out for us. We'd like to know what the spiritual gifts are, what, what our, pa- God, tell me what my passion is, which is a bit of a strange request. Uh, tell me what my abilities are, my person, so that we can slot into the perfect need or the perfect niche. But I actually think genuinely, genuinely, I think it's the complete opposite. I think God says, start somewhere. Just get going, get moving, do something, and you'll actually see where things resonate. You'll see where, where like there will be fruit of your gifting. You will, see, you will better understand your personality. I have only come to understand those parts of my personality, both strengths and weaknesses, which again, all of this has to mature and develop, but it's all been through working with people, through Staying committed, persevering, pushing through challenging seasons. I've, I've come to see where the gifts are a little bit more natural, and I think God has given a special ability versus where, yes, it takes a lot of effort. One of the ways that you know it's a spiritual gift is that it just, it may take effort and faithfulness and diligence, but, it's, but you don't feel like you're having to like give birth to something every time you try and show mercy or every time you try and show hospitality. 
Now, we shouldn't limit our serving to our gifts, but that is probably long-term where you want to be giving the majority of your energy. But in the meantime, you want to just get going. Just actually start somewhere. The best analogy for me is that of a ship in a harbor. Any kind of vessel in a harbor that is stationary, you can be a gangster moving that steering wheel from left to right, and the rudder is moving at the back of the vessel, but if the vessel isn't moving, the vessel isn't moving. But you, the moment it leaves the harbor and gets out onto open sea and it's actually starting to move, then the slightest adjustment in the rudder will adjust the direction. And I think that for your average Christian to just start somewhere, start serving somewhere, or maybe you've been serving somewhere for a long time and you feel like, this, I don't feel like this is the long term, then maybe you talk to the leader and consider another area. I'm saying the more we get involved and engage, I think the more opportunity God has to actually direct us. And I want to come back to what we were saying at the very beginning. God has a plan and a purpose. He wants you to be the best version of you. To not only be holier, but to be youier. And the only way to become youier is to actually exercise. I think it's John Maxwell, the leadership guru, who, referring to Christians in America, said he doesn't think Christians need more food. They need more exercise. He's like, they're fat enough. Like, they need exercise. Like, we need to actually just do something. Like, start somewhere. Just actually exercise. I love how Psalm 92 refers to just being planted and flourishing. The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. Or some versions simply say planted in the Lord's house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. God has not only the desire, but the plan to help us flourish. And part of it is the way that he has shaped us to serve. So it's part of us engaging and participating. That's with other people. And then there's the part that is about me and God, just that personal relationship. Jesus is quoted in John 15. Again, he's on his way to the cross. This is his last night. He's about to be arrested, crucified, etc. And while he's walking to the place of arrest, he says to his disciples, remain in me, John 15 verse four, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, obviously he's not referring to you can do nothing because there's a lot that you can do without God, but you can do nothing of meaning. Nothing of, I mean like eternal meaning. Nothing of real significance where you are bringing life to other people. I'm just telling you, God has shaped you in a very deliberate and unique way, not to just be like someone else, but to actually be the best version of who he's made you to be. So I wanna ask you just to stand with me for a few moments, please. And if you are new to our church, part of our custom is always an invitation just to ask you to close your eyes 
And if you're willing to do this, to open your hands just as a posture of kind of humility and surrender. So I'm asking that no one looks around and that just for a few moments, before we get back into the rush, before we get back into everything else that you have planned for today or tomorrow, I want to ask you to reflect on a couple of ideas. The first is this. Do you have any idea what the best version of you looks like? The best version of who God's created you to be. Not the best version of someone else or the best version that others might want for you or the best version of who you think someone else should be like. No, no. What does is, what is the best version of you look like when you are rested, when you are at peace, when you're present with people, when you're not anxious about the next bull, when you're not fighting insecurity, when you're managing stress and anxiety, you're getting enough rest, you're getting enough exercise, like you are the best version of you. What does that look like? What does love look like? What does joy look like? What does peace look like? What does goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control look like in your life based on your gifts, your personality, your abilities, your passions, your experiences, which are unique to anyone else's? What does the best version of you look like? Is it terribly far-fetched? Or is it possible that it's something that God's actually inviting you to? I know the temptation for some people is to be discouraged because maybe you feel like where you are is so far from what you think the best version of you looks like. I want to remind you that God is more committed to your slow development and growth than you could ever be. He is more patient than you and I could ever be. This is a lifelong project for him. You're not the project, but helping you grow into the healthiest, most flourishing version of you. Guys, that's something that God is committed to for the rest of your life. Maybe that's a question for you to reflect on over the next week. Prayerfully, with God, slowing down, saying, God, what does the best version of who you've made me to be look like? And then secondly and lastly, is there a next step that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to? I don't even want to offer suggestions because I think there could be a million different options. Is there a next step? Is there something that God's bringing to your mind, something that you can do, a step that you can take that can just help you follow Jesus in one more way, just one more step towards becoming the healthiest, best, strongest version of who God has created you to be.